Hello and welcome to my Rita Showing with myself, Nadina Regan. This is the podcast based in Dublin, Ireland, where we talk to well-known people about their lives and about what has made them who they are today. It's been about a month since my last podcast with the brilliant Irish playwright Nancy Harris. And uh, it's fair to say that in that time, quite a lot has happened. That their global pandemic, about which it's getting increasingly hard to even want to speak. It's all that's on anyone's minds, really. We're just into May as I'm recording this introduction. And I don't know about you, but every morning these days when I wake up, uh, the only thing I can compare the experience to actually is um, my experience of bereavement. Because when you wake up, at least when I wake up a lot of the time, for a moment, I'm in the old world, the world I was used to. And then you remember you have the shock of the new world that we're in now where almost everything feels at least very different and some things are very different in ways that can be large or small. There are so many people right now who are experiencing unimaginably tough times, loss, bereavement, job struggles. It's actually hard at times to, act, to speak, I suppose, about your own truths because you're so conscious of what so many are undergoing. But I do think it's fair to say that pretty much everyone is having a very tough time of it. That might be because you're a working parent with kids and they're coming in on you on the Zoom. <laughs> I've seen some pretty crazy um, Zoom footage actually on uh, the internet where poor parents are getting interrupted by children, sometimes dropping trousers in, in the middle of the sitting room while the parent is busy trying to look professional. Uh, but then there are the, the the other realities that are probably less seen, you know, the, the person who's cocooning, who can't come out of their house, who can't, who may even feel afraid just going into the back garden because we're all so afraid now. And then there's the person who might be taking care of somebody who has a disability or an intellectual impairment. And you wonder both how they're getting on and, and how they're coping, but, but also what the experience is of the, maybe the little person or the person with the impairment that's being minded and how their world is being changed because, of course, they don't have those external supports that they used to have. Then there are, of course, the people who've, who've lost jobs at the moment or who are looking for jobs, and it is tough. As you'll know, um, I live in Dublin, and uh, the Irish government's restrictions in relation to a lockdown, are pretty severe at the moment. Um, a new plan has been unveiled, uh, phase one, phase two, phase three, and so on, which hopefully will see us progress in the coming weeks and months to a reality where there is a little bit more freedom of movement in a way that is safe for everyone. But even with that, you know, it's hard not to feel claustrophobic. It's hard not to feel shut in. And there are really tough times as well, for us, even though maybe they're smaller versions of tough times. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you might remember that some months back I interviewed the Irish writer Emily Pine, an amazing writer and, and a real pleasure to interview. But as part of that podcast in the introduction, I mentioned that uh, in the same span of weeks that I had done the interview, I'd also gotten engaged and uh, it was such a wonderful time. Um, 
so exciting. And of course, you know, we had the wedding booked, ready to go, happening in France. And in the past few days, we've had to postpone the wedding and uh, cancel the, the idea of having it in France, at least for now. And again, you know, in the grander scheme of things, that is just small compared to what other people are facing. But I think it's fair to say that although one's own concerns could be small um it doesn't make them less tough to have to face up to and there are definitely times when I think everyone has had a moment where they've just wanted to curl up in bed and not get out so I think it's probably important to say at the start of this podcast um that if I can offer any advice if my advice is of any use to anyone it'd be to try to take care of yourself and as much as you can and and cut yourself a bit of slack and if you're a writer maybe that means not writing for a bit because your imagination has so thoroughly been taken over by the pandemic or if you're someone who maybe just needs that little bit more space to try and take it whether it's engaging in a bit of mindfulness or meditation or as I've found some people doing if they have a trampoline, quite a few people are heading out to that little space and just sitting there just to have that extra, as it was said to me, room in the house, outside the house, where they can have some time on their own away from the kids. If you can get the kids off the trampoline, that is. So mad things. We're doing mad things. <laughs> People's bathrooms or their offices, um, Ikea's out of desks, and we're all in it together, which is probably the one thing that... Um, is getting everyone through. There's a great sense of community through this. We moved house recently, actually, and the neighbours couldn't be nicer. Uh, We're very lucky we got to move house um, because it was just before the restrictions came down. Uh, But we're grateful for the fact that we're in and Lord knows we have plenty of time to be organising our clothes and the like. When I haven't been doing that, though, I have been losing myself in my work and very grateful to be able to do that whether it's writing podcasting or doing radio work as you'll know if you've been listening to previous podcasts this podcast is done for love and it is on all the usual networks the spotify the itunes uh, everywhere you get your podcasts really and the podcast will always be done for love there will never be a compulsory entrance charge for it However, if you do want to show some support, even if just the price of a cup of coffee a month, uh, you can now do so. I've started a Patreon account. Uh, The link is on my Twitter address at Nadina Regan, or you can do a search on patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N for Nadine O'Regan. If you would like to contribute, as mentioned, just the price of a cup of coffee, that would be amazing. And it enables me to do things like, for example, to buy more equipment, which I have been doing to up the sound quality and to make it the very best podcast I can possibly make it. Another aim would be, of course, to release more podcasts, which if the Patreon model did work, would mean that there was some financial support going towards it, which would be really great. And if you'd like to support in other ways, of course, uh, you can also do that by maybe leaving a nice review on iTunes or even just telling a friend about the podcast. It is all hugely appreciated. Now, to my guest on this podcast, let me tell you how excited I am that Ed O'Brien of Radiohead is joining me for the podcast for my Roots are Showing on this episode. I have been a Radiohead fan since it feels like time immemorial. I've grown up with them, you could say. I recall particular periods of my life uh, around albums they released. I've seen them live, I don't know how many times. 
And each time it has been so exhilarating and fulfilling. And for me, they're one of those bands that give back to their audience so much. I was one of those people that when they released an album and said, pay what you want, I paid the full whack. That's how much of a fan I am. Although I was a bit miffed when apparently not very many people did that. To tell you a little bit about Ed O'Brien specifically, he is the guitarist, multi-instrumentalist and backing singer in Radiohead, if backing singer is the right term. He helps out Tom York on the vocals. He uh, first met Tom York when he was in school, in Abingdon School in Oxfordshire. He was playing um, the role of Lysander in A Midsummer's Night Dream when he encountered a very young Tom York. Tom was providing the uh, soundtrack, I think, for the play. Uh, They became friends and they started hanging out with uh, Phil Selway and the Brothers Greenwood, forming the band who would eventually become known as Radiohead. Here they are. Radiohead released their first single, Creep, back in 1992, and since that time they have sold many millions of records, albums including The Bends, OK Computer, Kid A, Hail to the Thief, and A Moonshaped Pool. And now at the age of 52, Ed O'Brien, who has rechristened himself EOB, is releasing his first solo album, titled Earth. We cut up on Zoom, the video conferencing service, shortly before the release of the album. Hi, Ed. How are you? You're all darkness. Have you got your camera on? You're just trying to deliberately unnerve me, right? It's a gorgeous record, full of beautiful labyrinthine songs like Brazil, Olympic and Banksters, which you can hear here. interview we concentrated mainly on talking about the record but of course we got into some Radiohead back catalogue detail as well. This is Ed O'Brien's My Roots Are Showing. I hope you enjoy it. It's an absolute pleasure to speak to you. And first off, I wanted to find out a little bit about your health because I know that um, you'd posted on Instagram that you had been a bit unwell. You're recovered now, right? Yeah, I'm pretty good. I thought I was back to full health. And then just the last week, I've just sort of gone down a bit, but I'm fine. But no worries. I'm not on death's door. I just, and this is what people say who've had it, right? It hangs around a long time. This is COVID-19. I mean, you haven't been tested. No, I haven't been tested. And, and I don't, again, I didn't want to waste people's time with our health service has far more deserving cases. I think when you're ill and you have a sense of, I, I, anyway, I have an intuition of when something's dangerous and it never felt dangerous. It just felt like, okay, I've got to be responsible here, self-isolate and do all the things. Mm. Well, do all the things. Like it's such an interesting time for you because you're releasing your 
solar work earth it's beautiful like it's absolutely gorgeous I have been getting lost in it the rhythms of it are just fantastic uh but the timing Ed is problematic now you know and that's hard it's it seems very unfair that you should be arriving into this climate so how how are you feeling I really it's funny people have said this so oh you poor thing you finally got it and it's it is what it is and this is it's bigger than this record it's bigger than all of us and Actually, it feels like a real privilege. I made a very emotional record. It's a, it's a record from the heart. And it's like, there's a lot of color and warmth. And it was, it's my response about, it's my emotional and musical response to being a human being walking on this planet and how I feel my, my connection with the planet and the beauty of it and my connection with most of the people on this planet who are respectful and to one another and just want to coexist in peace. So because there was there was talking, people said, oh, do you want to put it back? Do you want to let it? It's like, no, no. I mean, I can't promote it in the usual way, but so what? This is, this is more, and actually, if people can find some solace or some, you know, they're moved by it and it can help, if it helps one person, it's done its job. The kind of inspiration for it, as far as I'm aware, uh, began back as far as, 2012 um it this has been a long time coming was there an element of self-consciousness about making a debut uh when you had already been so successful with radiohead i think so i think i didn't want to make something for the sake of because everybody else had got their solo career or whatever i didn't want to make something for the sake of it i can only make music when i'm truly inspired so i've been very lucky i've been in this band on the whole, uh, most part, it's very inspiring. And what I realized is one of the reasons why I hadn't made music before is because I just hadn't been truly inspired. And I suddenly, for whatever reason, inspiration came in the form of, 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 re of taking time out with my young family. We went and moved to Brazil and lived in a very rural situation on the edge of a farm, on the edge of the rainforest. And suddenly I had time out and I had time to, you know, to get off the hamster wheel, you know, living in London and all of that, you know, and having young kids and being a hands-on dad and Radiohead, there was no time to do anything else. And suddenly it was almost like self-isolation. It was like taking time out of nature and it was just like, and the dust settled and it was just like, I, I've got something I want to sing about here. There's a feeling here. I was inspired and it was, being in Brazil, but it was also things like going to Carnival. We went to Carnival. We had we went to Rio for Carnival, and being in the Samba Drone for two nights. And it is the most extraordinary show uh, at night. It's 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 rhythm, melody, light, love. This huge dance. It's this huge. It's it's the greatest show on earth. And I really felt it. And I thought the feeling that I had there was a euphoria, and probably not too dissimilar to gospel. To be in it's that it's it's the lifting of the spirit it's very like i have to say you know um it was like going to a u2 gig in 1985 for me <laughs> like for a week after i'm like it was like to it was well i hated church church was rubbish but it was better than that's church that's religion it's just like okay i want to do something music but it has to have that feeling and it has to have that feeling of sentience of emotion but I also wanted joy and I, I felt that was really important. 
There were a ton of decisions to make, though, you know, with regard to the record. I mean, there are a lot of really beautiful, long songs on there. There are songs on there that I can see working on radio, but don't look like they're playing for radio, which is a nice thing. Um, But then you had all these questions, you know, like, would you sing lead? Uh, Would you get other members of the band potentially involved? And who would you work with as producer? And uh, I'm aware that that you were sort of chatting to Flood and and you didn't have a record deal at that point. And you were sort of saying, listen, how, how much would it cost to hire you which is an interesting thing to to think about you arriving in this format with just on your own without the huge baggage of not baggage but the 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 mechanism if you like of Radiohead and and having to literally almost start again it must have been profoundly interesting from that perspective it was really good it was I, I really enjoyed it because I didn't want to get a record deal I wanted to make a record see if I could do it first and foremost and then present it to people and take it out there and, and see who, who got it. Because I was aware that, you know, I come from Radiohead. So I didn't want to be signed because of I'm Ed O'Brien from Radiohead. It had to be about the songs, whoever I ended up with. Flood was a friend. We met the school gates. Our wives, our wives were friends from school. And we, you know, we holidayed and stuff like that. And, you know, it's so great because we're geeks, we're musical geeks. I'm like, what, what was it you... On, on Violator, what is the sound of that? And he'll go like... I love that cool. album, by the way. Yeah, great, right? Yeah, and I mean, that's my favourite Depeche Mode album. It's brilliant, right? And he goes, oh, that's just the Roland System 700. I'm like, Roland System 700 is this huge kind of analogue synthesizer that looks like the, the, the patch, like the patch bay of an old telephone exchange. He's putting all these wires in. He makes incredible sound. And one day, he, he Shangri-La... He basically said, I'm do a version of this. And he did like, uh, he did like a, this version with that. And it sounded like Violator. Anyway, with Flood, I was just like, listen, he's a mate. And I'm yeah. like, I need, I need good counsel. So what happened was I wanted to play in this stuff. So, cause I like the stuff, the engineer I was working with, my wife, kids like the stuff, the demos. And I played it to him in the fourth, after about the fourth song, he turned around and said, do you want me to do this with you? I'm like, well, that's like the dream ticket because you're like my favorite producer, but I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to put pressure on the friendship. So then it's the conversation. I like, right. I love that record you made uh, with Alan Mulder and Catherine Marks Foles, Holy Fire. Mm, that's how, such a great I record. love that. And yeah. that's how we bonded. That's how it's like, he's still doing it. You know, he's obviously still doing it with Polly Harvey, but like he's doing that big band record. And I'm like, okay, I know how it's done in Radiohead. But I want to know how you do it. So how long is this going to take? How much is this going to cost? And once he told me, I was just like, all right, can we do it like that? And um, it was really liberating because it's very cause and effect immediately. If you're putting, I mean, if you're putting up the money yourself and if you're hiring everybody, if you're hiring, in, and, and, you know, I'm working, I, I, Omar Hakim and Nathan East, two of the greatest musicians on this planet, as well as Laura Marling and, mm. you know, Adrian Utley and David Akuma. But, you know, you've got to get, you've got to pay and get people like Omar and Nathan over and do all this. Is, this is direct. It's not, because usually it goes through the middle, the, the middle person of the record company. Were the rest of the band supportive? Because obviously they've all been releasing solo albums, but like I know that 2020 was designated as the year that Radiohead was sort of taking off. Um, so presumably that was all kind of factored in that you would release your record. Yeah, I mean, it's, 
it's I think everybody's I think everybody's very supportive of whatever everybody does and I think that's really important in a band like Radiohead because I think that the only way that we really will grow as a band is by having external musical influences because when you create music the key thing the key thing that you need is inspiration if you're not inspired you can't do it and it's very, very hard if you've been playing with the same people for, for years and years and years to be inspired by that and to be genuinely inspired by that. We've only made two records in the last 10 years. And there's a reason for that because the inspiration collectively doesn't flow all the time like it was when we were in the, the momentum of OK Computer, Kid A, Hail to the Thief in Rainbows. So I think what's important about the external projects is they keep everybody being a musician, being inspired, and hopefully that we can get together at times, at moments when, when it's genuine. And I think the great thing about Radiate is we only make records when we really want to. We won't make it, you know, we've always been a little bit contrary like that as well. It's like, well, we can't make it if we don't feel it. I remember um, Michael Stipe from OEM saying that they got to a certain point in their trajectory and they would go into studio together and their criteria was not to write another song that sounded like OEM. And I think that that was because of how many albums they'd made together that it became almost a problem that they could knock out a classic OEM sounding like song, but they just didn't want to do it because they wanted to push themselves and challenge themselves. So that kind of gets back to what you're saying. You know, it's like it's like find a way to to move yourself on creatively and that's not necessarily always with the band that you started out with no and you get bored you know it's everybody you if you do something enough if you you know if if your favorite food is chicken tikka masala curry if you have that every night you'll get bored of it it's like i mean like you know and that's one thing that we've always been we were aware of in the early days that's why we got bored of creep we got, yeah. you know, and, and you don't always play it live. I mean, there's always no. this little bit of a thing of, are they going to play it or not? You know, and the thing is, I never mind that you don't play it live because funnily enough, um, there'd be other songs that I would prefer to hear. Um, but but, you know, I always I always can feel the audience like listening to, to what you're going to pick that night. And what does that mean? Does it mean something very important? For example, if you play it at Glastonbury, you know, does it mean something? Yeah, well, it's it's funny because we only play what we want. And what we, the last American tour that we did, which was interesting, was that we were doing two nights in each city and we played a completely different set each night. And that felt, that felt really good because I'll tell you what, even, I mean, I'll be honest with you, like, you start off the tour and, you know, you play Paranoid Android and it's a great moment. By the end, you're, it's boring. You know, it's boring as a musician to play... And we're not like a jazz band that can reinterpret songs. I mean, that's a big, that's why there's an American, do you know the American band called Fish? Mm. Fish are an extraordinary band. Mm. And, and for any people out, you know, you, people who listen, people who are interested, there's a podcast called Long May It Run. And it's about what they do. And basically this whole jam band culture, which is like the Grateful Dead, they reinvent it each night. Yeah. And I just think that's extraordinary. And that's such a, that for me is like what I've been trying to do with my with my band before we before this all happened was that we have is taking that inspiration and we've got we had on about you know on Brazil and Olympic and a couple of the other tracks 
we were jamming on the endings and kind of it's getting gorgeous yeah yeah I mean I love I love I love the way you get to the end of those tracks and you just it, you finish them and you go right I'm going to just go straight back to the start of it because there's something okay. almost labyrinthine about it and it's rhythms that makes you go it doesn't feel like it I could listen to it 60 minutes straight you know which is a lovely thing about any track um I did wonder listening to it you know I I, I was I was thinking, you know, when you were in studio, how did it feel to you? Because there might have been points me when you would have gone, oh, is this too um, evocative of stuff I might have done with Radiohead? And not to say that it is, um, but, you know, that d- did that bother you if, if you ever felt like, oh, God, I better not stray into particular melodic terrain or perhaps particular guitar terrain in terms of the tapestry like feel or the layers that would evoke anything too similar to my other band let's say yeah well it's interesting when before i made the record i you know one of my brothers is johnny Marr, and johnny said to we, we you know we, we have these fantastic powwows and we get together and he said to me said and he said in, about he said one of the mistakes that he felt that he made when he first went out with the healers he was scared of sounding like himself and i think one of the things that people have embraced about what he's done on his last three albums is that he's sounds like Johnny Marr. There's an element. Yeah. And he said, don't be It's a be comfort scared. listen as well. He's got such a beautiful, comforting sound. Oh, amazing. And again, that melodic kind of, there's a, there's a real spirit and a spiritual element of Johnny's playing. And I really took that. I was just like, well, I figured that if the rhythm section, you see, with, with, with music, if you change the rhythm section, if you change Phil, Philip in our band, it wouldn't be Radiohead. And you change the drummer of a band, it changes hugely. So I wasn't so worried about like where I was going to go melodically and sonically. I knew it would be different from Radiohead. I knew there'd be an overlap, but that never bothered me because here's the other thing in Radiohead, I've got like, there's a, there's a bit that I can do, but there's all this other music going on, Tom and Johnny and Colin, whereas, I could do it all with mine if I wanted to. <laughs> so I was, I was kind of like, there's all this stuff that I hadn't been able to do that I could do. And it wasn't out of frustration. It was just like, ha, huh, now I can do that and I can experiment. So it was, it was a very, I, I, the, the one thing that I did have to let go of, I did have to let go of what, 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 what do the others, what would the others think about this? Mm. And I had to let go of that because. And, and presumably you did, you send it to them yeah. at an early stage? No, no, I mean, no, not at all, because, um, you know, when any of us do solo projects, the, the, the kind of, the, the way you hear about it is you get copy from the office, they'll send the vinyl through, and they said, oh, Johnny wanted you to hear, you know, the soundtrack for There Will Be Blood, here it is, you know, or, or here it is if you want it. So we don't really talk, it's a bit like someone said the other day, they were talking to a band about this very thing, and they said, People in bands don't talk about their solo projects because it's a bit like the old girlfriend talking about the new girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. No, I can understand that completely. Um, and tell me a little bit about singing. Uh, how did you feel about singing a lead? That was the hardest bit. And that was the bit that I was, that was for me, kind of the most challenging aspect. And that was the bit that I, I was, you know, that the, the, was the hardest bit on the record for me. And it's still the bit going out live. I still, because the, you know, I haven't sung lead for, you know, I've been singing part-time backing vocals, but I was very lucky again, Flood, he was just like, he said, you'll be fine. 
And I, I had this feeling that he wasn't just saying that to, it wasn't kidology going on here. That was genuine. Now, if it was kidology, it was supreme kidology because he completely, I mean, I was just like, because he, he would say things, oh, yeah, I did that. I took six hours to do that vocal with Nick Cave. And, you know, and you go like, oh, yeah, of course, he's worked with everybody. So he knew, he heard something in my voice. He felt that he could get there with my voice. So I always felt like, even if I don't get it today or, even if I'm struggling with it, I always, if he's confident about it, then then I just have to just let go of judgment and just do it. And, you know, standing on a stage without the, the comfort of the other members of Radiohead um, probably is a very different proposition. But also this year is a very different proposition now. You know, Glastonbury cancelled so many of the summer festivals, very unlikely to go ahead. So, you know, we live in very strange times, you know, like what's kind of coming up for you over the next few months in terms of the changes? And and how are you feeling about that? Well, the obvious change is, you know, I, I was supposed to be going out on tour and I was really looking forward to doing that. And and if you like getting better as a live performer, spreading my wings, really, I really, I really wanted to to fully connect the music with the audience. And and we there were signs that it was the last we did in in Camden for Six Music. There were signs like Brazil, we dropped Brazil, and people it was okay. This is what we're aiming at. So of course that's not going to be there. So you know, much as it's I you know I'm obviously sad not to. I love going out and playing live and I love that connection with an audience and I love meeting people and I love the conversations. But, you know, this thing is bigger. This thing is way bigger. So, you know, I picked up the guitar last night. I've got, I've got a new, I bought this great Move One keyboard synth and I'm going to, I feel the stirrings of the next creative phase. So it's, it's a, I think it's a really good time to be, to be writing. And also I want to find a way of doing online, interacting and maybe trying doing something live online, but do it in a way that with high, you know, good, proper sound, yeah. not through Zoom. So I, I think keeping the connection, keeping the contact is going to be important and for all of us, but also using that time that I'm not, you know, to, 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 for the next musical steps. Mm. Well, to say my very last question, so I'm going to uh, just ask a little bit about the title of the new record. Obviously, it's called Earth. And, you know, there is something about this time that we are experiencing a massive recalibration of not just our day-to-day lives, but also maybe a rethink about how we proceed in the world just generally. The flights, the busyness, um, the... um, the way in which we, we've gotten on for the past few years, the economy. And do you think that maybe, you know, this is a time when there will be a massive and drastic rethink uh, about our world, about about how we're behaving, and, and maybe we'll see a new system? Yeah, I really hope so. And I think hopefully that's the silver lining out of all of this, that we rethink, because we, 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 we need to, we need to we need to really address this we we we've got this we live on this this jewel this precious planet and you know indigenous tribes have spoken years have always spoken about the soul of the planet and professor james lovelock in his gaia theory talks about this this planet we live is a living has a soul and we really need to address 
address that because since the Industrial Revolution, we've just grabbed whatever we come from and we've treated her so badly. And in doing so, we've also treated one another pretty badly as well. And we need to rethink it all up and the way we treat the planet. I think what's interesting is you hear things like kindness. These are words that are coming now that are becoming so important and kindness and love and respect. And in a time of crisis, those are the, those are the really important things in life. So when we come out of this, I really hope that, and I think a lot of people are, we realize that we have to be kinder to one another. We have to be kinder to our planet because she's our home. As Carl Sagan says in The Pale Blue Dot, she's our only home we know. This is all we've got. We need to get rid of all this plastic. We need to, we need to think it all up. And hopefully this is what's happening. This, is, this can be the start of the change. Edda Ryan, thank you so much uh, for that interview. I really appreciate it. The album is an absolute beauty. And oh. I hope someday I will get to see you perform it live. Thank you, Nadine. That'd be great. Thank you for the lovely questions and be well, stay safe and hope all goes well. Thanks. Take care now. And my thanks again to EOB or Ed O'Brien, as his nearest and dearest known, for being my guest on this latest episode of My Roots Are Showing. As mentioned, if you've enjoyed this episode, please do consider contributing to the Patreon account. You can find me uh, by going to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and doing a search for Nadine or Regan. Or also you can have a look on my Twitter feed where it's also up and I'm on Twitter at Nadine O'Regan. Right, that is pretty much it from me for another month. Do stay safe, stay well. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can do so on the Twitter line. The DMs are open and yeah till we chat next do take care we leave you with a little fragment from eob's earth enjoy Mm -hmm.